0: This episode is a 2018 listener-favorite rebroadcast.
1: Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa.
2: Hi, this is producer Andrea Mengeli inviting you to listen to a conversation with Lisa and our first guest this week, Adam Brumberg, as they take a gut check and talk about food for thought with diet and health. Adam Brumberg is a research specialist in the Charles
0: H. Dyson School of Applied Economics and Management at Cornell University and the deputy director of the Food and Brand Lab, He coordinates academic and industry research conducted by both the Food and Brand Lab and the BEN Center or BEN Center. Adam joined the Food and Brand Lab after a lengthy marketing and sales career in the wine industry during which he worked with all the links of the distribution chain, as well as acting as a marketing and research consultant to a variety of industry and nonprofit clients. He is currently conducting research on how to adjust to an empty nest, given his two daughters are now in college. Welcome, Adam. We're close to the same position. I've got one in college and one on the way next year.
3: You know, I need to update that, actually. One of my, well, actually, you know what? They're both back in college because my older daughter just went back for a graduate degree.
0: Ah, funny. Are they at Cornell?
3: Uh, No, they're not, actually. One is at the University of Vermont and one is actually studying abroad at the moment.
0: Oh, lucky her.
3: So let's talk
0: about about environmental factors. Mm -hmm. How does the world that we live in and, and, and the world around us impact our eating decisions?
3: Well, Fact, it impacts us in a lot of different ways. So let me, let me ask you a question. How many food-related decisions do you think you make in a day?
0: Oh, my guess is uh, several dozen.
3: Several dozen. Okay, that's a pretty good guess. That's actually more than most people guess. And most people guess something like uh, six, uh, so three meals and a, and a couple of snacks. Uh, our research has shown over the years that you make somewhere between two and 300 decisions related to food every day. Wow. So that's everything from... Uh, how much milk? How much? Fish. So you're constantly making decisions about food choices all the time. And in today's society, uh, um, I'm old enough to remember when you weren't allowed to bring water into a library. Into a library. Now there's a Starbucks in half the libraries in America. Um, we're we're surrounded by uh, places where we can access and, and purchase food. So we're making those decisions constantly. Uh, and half of those decisions are making are deciding not to to do something. So as a result of that. We make most of our food-related decisions, and a lot of the dec- decisions in our daily lives, anyway, just based on habit and convenience. So, um, habit—I uh, did it yesterday; it worked out fine. I'm going to do it again today. Uh, Convenience—it's mm, uh, there's a bowl of M&Ms on my desk. That's what I'm going to eat right now because I'm a little—I'm a little peckish. <laughs> so, so given that, environment has a, a tremendous impact on how we make our decisions. So. Uh, you know that that convenience factor is gigantic, and also you know we live in a very rushed society where we 're constantly making uh being being we 're running behind we're we're running late we 're stressed out and we know not just from food research but from psychology in general that your the how you make decisions or how thoughtful you are about decisions is directly related to how stressed out you are so um, we we tend to f- fall back on those, those habits and just do things over and over again so if we have if our daily routine has been to stop at the coffee shop and, and the, the easiest and fastest thing to get out with is uh, a donut instead of an egg white sandwich, we're gonna, we're, we'll get the donut half the time it, 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 because it saves on, on time and also on, on mental effort to make that decision.
0: And I would think it also uh, taps into our um, instant gratification, right? We want what we want when we want it, and we, be, it, we become such a fast-paced society that the, the, the more quickly we can satisfy the urge, the better. And this is where uh, the media and brands have us.
3: Right. Well, that's, that's definitely true, and that's completely tied to that whole stressed-out cognitive load thing. Uh, lots of research shows that when you're in a calm, relaxed state, then you're much more likely to make uh, more optimal decisions related to everything. Um, and if you think of it, economists uh, break decisions into, into what they call low involvement and high involvement decisions. A high involvement decision is you know, buying a car where you're pretty likely to do a little bit of research and do some thinking because you know, there's a lot of money at stake. Low involvement decisions are things like food, uh, which uh, you can do constantly, you can do, you're doing over and over again, and they don't seem like it's a big deal every time you make a decision. Although you know you can make the argument that the way you decide to put in your body is uh, one of the most important decisions you can make, you know you always have a chance. Given that you're making 200 decisions about food every day, I have a chance to reset that dial and start making better decisions in five minutes. You know, so I, we that's how we all we always say to ourselves. Well, I'm just going to have the brownie now, and later I'll, I'll have the banana. Mm-hmm. But later comes up and there's another brownie and we we, we eat that. So part of it is. Uh, stopping yourself in, in, you can actively, you know, change your mindset by um, by taking a second to to think what do what do I really want um, and you know kind of reset the, the, the clock for for yourself. We we did a study here on campus a couple of years ago where we um, we put people into two different conditions and gave them uh, and they both had the same menu, a set of, of items to choose from. And the two different conditions were one group was asked to think of things that were stressing them out. And one group was asked the things that they were thankful thankful for. And if you were in the thankful group, uh, you were significantly more likely to get uh, to order a salad, or to, or to skip dessert, or to get a baked chicken sandwich instead of a fried chicken sandwich. You know, so they, you made healthier decisions if you'd taken the moment to reflect on things you were thankful for. As soon as you focused on what you were upset about, um, you know, here here comes here comes the the you know the deep, the deep fried uh, everything.
0: And is that because when we are attracted to the fried food, it's it's because we want comfort? Is that what the brain yeah. is telling us? Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's a big thing, right? So you're also, um, one of the big roles that food plays in all of our lives is is the comfort, right? So um, if we're stressed out, the last thing we want to be, to want is for our food choice to disappoint us or to, or to or to fall short. So you're a lot less likely to try something you haven't had before, try a new food. Uh, when you are, when you're stressed out, because you're really looking for that, that, that comfort piece to, to make yourself feel better.
0: So what we're really talking about is food psychology. Yes. That's what, that's what you're doing over there. You know, right.
3: that's what we, that's what we call uh, our website is food psychology. Dot, uh, dot edu. Uh, you know, that's, that's the work that we do is we, we refer to it as as psychology. Yeah
0: which it really falls into uh, several categories right because you're talking about the, the 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 marketing the branding the packaging and the movement of yep. food product sales but also how we make those food choices, the, yeah. the psychological factors that you that you spoke of you know stressed or or in a contented or grateful state, um, talk a little bit about how we as consumers and CEOs of our bodies can do a better job to create awareness of what's going on so we don't become the victim of eating things that are not good for us
3: right so there there are two ways to look at that one um, if you if I told you at the beginning of the day that you were going to have to decide something 200 times, what does that sound like to you? Does that sound like a fun day?
0: No, it sounds exhausting, yeah. although I, I, I'm aware that there are thousands of decisions that we make today. Yeah,
3: yeah but you do most of those on autopilot for that exact reason. It sounds really daunting, right? So yeah. one, yes, it, you know, in those circumstances where you can actively engage and make conscious decisions, that's, you know, that, that's great. Um, but uh, a, another solution, and one that we're constantly working on, is is trying to arrange your routine or your or your uh, environment in advance, so that you can actually take advantage of the mindless nature of a lot of those decis- that decision making. Right. So, if you organize your refrigerator so that uh, cut vegetables are the easiest thing to get to, and this is a thing we all, we advise parents all the time. Um, give your kids a shelf in the, in the refrigerator and say, you need anything you want on here that allows them to be in control and to be an agency, but you're in charge of what goes on it. So, you know, you sort of bound their, their, their choices, but, but give them the, the opportunity to make those choices. But it, it works with us too. If you, if you take your lunch to work, um, if you, if you make it the night before, you will make a healthier lunch than you do as you're flying out the door in the, in the morning. Uh, it also had, you know, it goes back to what you shop for in the first place. If you're shopping, um, for and you stock your house with the health, healthier items, um, which is easier to do when you go into the supermarket when you're not hungry and when you have a list and you know again you're not you're not uh, run, running behind. Then you have the opp- opportunity to default to those healthier items when you when you have that choice. Um, so the, the snacks you arrange in your workspace uh, can be done in, in advance. Uh, planning your route your route to work or Planning, you know, when and where you're going to shop, all those things can impact what's available to you. Um, We did a study with shopping carts a while back where we uh, we put, it was not exactly the most high-tech thing, but we basically took a piece of duct tape and put it around the outside of a shopping cart and put a sign in the shopping cart that said, uh, put your uh, fruits, veggies, and lean proteins in the front half of the cart. And so we've done two things there. One, we've, uh, we've given a priming message saying half the cart should be fruits, vegetables, and lean proteins. And uh, we've also given them a kind of a, we've created a social norm by saying half your cart should be this. This is a reasonable amount for that. And when we collected people's receipts afterwards, if they had if they had, had, had a cart, it was set up that way, they, they had um, about 63% of their, their cart was of the, of the healthier items and uh, fruit and veggie purchases doubled versus people who didn't have that, that, that priming. So you can do that. You know, you can, you can do that for yourself. You, you know, a lot of the supermarkets now have the double-decker uh, shopping carts yeah. and you can just say, well, the top is for these things and the bottom is for, is for those things. And you can, you can actually actively do that and then you know, set, set yourself up for success that way.
0: Well, I I love the idea of what you suggested um, for the refrigerator shelf for kids, that you you sort of you 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 limit the choices, but still allow choice. Right. And that is the paradox of choice. Right. That we're generally happier to have the ability to choose, but maybe not have as vast amount of choices to make. So if it's good stuff. Um, the other thing uh, that I've realized is, as I've gotten older is I used to never make a lunch. I thought, Oh, that's just silly. You know, I did that when I was a kid, I want to go out to lunch. Right. And then I realized that I was eating more junk by just, you know, grabbing on the fly that when I would just put a few things, you know, even if it was protein bars and fruit and yep. nuts in a little bag and taking it with me.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the whole idea of planning for success. So I'll give you the adult version of those little little tips you can use in your in your home too. Um, Wait, let's,
0: let's, let's take a quick break and then okay. when we come back, we can get into um, these these tips for our, our uh, the adult environment as well. To learn okay. more about Adam Brumberg and his work at Cornell, please visit foodpsychology.cornell.edu. On Twitter, that is at C U F underscore Brand Lab. And on Facebook, that page is Cornell Food and Brand Lab. Hey, listen up, y'all. Before we head to the break, I want to talk with you about Tata Tamers. It's no secret bra shopping is a drag. There's always lots of trial and error, and even then the perfect fit can be elusive. What if you could skip the trip to the mall and find the perfect bra in minutes? I'm a loyal Third Love customer who shops from the privacy and comfort of my own home. It's true. I wear 3rd Love bras because they are hands down the most comfortable bra on the planet. All 3rd Love bras are tagless, lightweight, ultra soft, smoothing, and have straps that don't slip. This means happy breasts. It all starts with 3rd Love's online fit finder quiz that helps identify your breast size and shape and then recommends the perfect bra style that fits right for your body. Did you know that 50% of all women fall between standard cup sizes? They're so obsessed with finding the perfect fit that 3rd Love invented half cup sizing. What I really love about 3rd Love is the comfort, fit guarantee, and rock star customer service. If something's not right, you can send it back. No hassle returns and exchanges are free and easy. Third Love knows there's a the perfect bra for everyone. So right now they are offering 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com happiness to find your perfect fitting bra and to get 15% off your first purchase. Once again, that's thirdlove.com happiness for 15% off today.
1: We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day, we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome
0: back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. I'm continuing the conversation with Adam Brumberg, who is the Deputy Director of the Food and Brand Lab at Cornell University. And we're talking about... The food we eat, how we're marketed to, and ways that we can improve how we eat. Adam, prior to the break, you were talking about wanting to give us some tips for healthier eating for adults to sort of prepare and plan our food decisions.
3: Sure, yeah. So we we touched a little bit about some stuff at work and also some stuff at home. Um, I was talking, I had mentioned earlier that if you have M&Ms on your desk, you're going to eat them. We did a study here in our building where we gave all the administrative staff in the, in, the, uh, in the building little candy dishes, and we filled them with Hershey's Kisses. And at night, we would go in and refill them. And I know that sounds like a terrible thing to do, but we did it. And, uh, uh, but the, the, the interesting part of the study was we strategically placed the, those candy dishes at different lengths, distances from people's seats, so three, six, nine feet away, and every three feet, the, the distance was two to three fewer candies you would eat uh, during the course of a day. So if you do the math over the course of the month, uh, you know, a week or a month, that's a lot of. Uh, that's a very large difference in calorie between the three foot and the nine foot section. Um, but the point of that is that old thing about a sight out of mind is is a real thing. You can have some candies, you know, for the for those moments or uh, when then when you really really need that pick me up or, or or you know a little bit of sweet tooth, but put them in the in the bottom drawer of your desk. Uh, where there, where it's an active, you have to think actively about going to get it and what's up on what's uh, in that bag of baby carrots is what's on your desk, right? So, if, so you, when you're doing the mindless, uh, eating portion, you're, you're mindlessly eating things that are low, have a uh, better nutritionally. If you have a partner who eats at a different pace than you do, um, most people, if your partner eats more slowly than you do, you will tend to eat a little bit more because you want to keep them company instead of just sitting across the table, staring at them saying, when are we done? Unless, of course, you're staring at your phone, which is that's a whole different uh, set of problems these days. Well,
0: But, but it, do, it does make sense to to, to put away the, the mobile devices at the dinner table or at any table where you're eating with yourself or with others. Because the idea is to be, yeah. to, be to be present when you're present. Yeah. You can more recognize um, satiety.
3: Right. Yeah. And I have I have uh, we have related research to attention and, and engagement at, at dinner, which I can't talk about. But it isn't specific cell phone. But that's that's fine. Yeah.
0: Well, t- do tell.
3: Yeah. Oh, so, um, so we we have done a number number of studies that we're talking about uh, uh, engagement at at, uh, at dinner, and it, for families where there is active engagement, uh, but where people talk meaningfully about their day and actually engage, as opposed to be distracted by the television, uh, things like that, they tend to eat more healthfully, and they tend to eat a little bit a little bit more slowly, uh, which also eating more slowly is a, is a benefit as well because you're Gives your body actually a, a chance to physically catch up to being full. You can eat, you can out eat, uh, well, you can eat faster than the sense of uh, satiation catches up with you. And you know, so anything that you can do to kind of uh, slow down the, the, your consumption is, is definitely a benefit.
0: And what about cooking together? You know, I, I think that that is a wonderful way to slow things down to get more enjoyment out of food in general and, and, and our relationships. Do you, have you done any studies on that?
3: We've used we we generally ask people about their their cooking habits when we're doing doing uh, survey work. So we have so we haven't done specific experiments about that, but we know for a bit about people who cook together uh, tend to have healthier diets. Uh, and particularly when you're working with uh, trying to ingrain healthy eating habits with kids, involving them in, in in cooking is definitely very very effective. And also in shopping as well. I know uh, everybody who's has shopped with a, with a four year old is gonna is gonna cringe to hear me say this, but if you can take your four-year-old shopping and let them pick some stuff out, particularly in the produce aisle, that's a, that's a great tactic for getting them familiar first with healthy foods and also to uh, purchase things because it you know, goes back to that active agency. They got to choose it. So the likelihood of them trying a thing that they got to choose is higher than, oh, here, I got this. I want you to try it. Right? So, so uh, presenting them with an opportunity to be in control in that set setting is really effective.
0: It works for a four-year-old and it works for an eighteen-year-old. Yeah. Last weekend, I took my son to the grocery store and I said, "You know what? Like, buy some new things. Like, try something different." And at first, he was like, "Now, nah, just stay in the car and, and stay on my phone." I'm like, "No, come in because you'll discover something." And he ended up, you know, getting a bunch of things that he'd never tried before—healthy stuff. He made good choices, and then he said, "You know, that was kind of fun."
3: That's awesome. And then if you if you can get him to go and look up the recipes for how to prepare the stuff, then you know you're. Further down the road, you know, that cooking and shopping are pretty important life fields that uh, aren't as common as they they were a generation ago.
0: He is a foodie and he loves yeah. the cooking channel. He watches Gordon Ramsay, who is his god.
3: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: so it's all about the knives, you know. Gotcha. So- He's unique in that way, and, and, and which is pretty cool. But I think that that brings it back to making these good decisions about our nutrition anyways. You know, like the more connected we are with the, the, the food that we buy, the food preparation, the way we eat it, our state of mind when we're consuming, it seems like we're just going to do better.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, part of uh, getting people to eat more healthfully is to stop focusing on the healthfulness of the food, if that makes sense. Um, you know, the whole not just our work, but tons of research shows that when you tell the majority of people that something is healthy, their their expectation of the taste of it goes down um, mm-hmm. because, they, you know, they look at it as it has a, almost like a medicinal quality. But if you if you give them the same dish and you you use words to describe it like delicious and fresh and uh, roasted and the other other descriptive terms, their expectations of the flavor goes back up again. So it's the it's the framing of we we've learned if there's one thing we've learned about nutrition education over the years is that telling people what they should be eating is not effective. Um, you know, it it in some respects it, it it's counter counterproductive. The information for the types of foods people should be eating is certainly useful and needs to be part of the conversation. But being prescriptive about eat this specific thing almost always has a, a, a negative outcome. Some people are going to eat it, but they're actually, they're probably going to enjoy it less. And a bunch of people are going to actively avoid eating it if they've been told that they should eat it. But if you focus on flavor, um, uh, you know, uh, that that, that everybody responds to, to good taste.
0: Indeed. And, 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 you know, the psychology of, you know, choice and self self dominion. Right. I mean, the, the, well, the, right. you can be in charge of your own life. Nobody's going to tell you what to do. But, you know, the invitation is something else. Um, talk a little bit about any work that you have done with um, the Advent or. The, uh, what I'm trying to say is that like, farmer's markets have become more popular over the years. So it's not an advent. It's really sort of a resurgent in the farmer's market mentality. Has there been a shift in the way that either parts of the country or people in studies that you might have conducted have viewed their relationship with food and how it's affected their, their diet and their well-being?
3: Uh, I couldn't speak specifically to farmer's markets, but I do know that words like uh, local and fresh uh, are very resonant with, with consumers, um, uh, even, even terms like organic, although they have to be, have to be um, bounded in specific ways. Um, we did a study where we gave people uh, this, uh, or, uh, some organic cookies, and half the people knew they were organic, and half the people uh, didn't, thought they were regular cookies. Um, and the people who knew that they were organic cookies rated the flavor lower, but they were willing to pay more for them because they had the, the, there 's the, there's an association with organic food and and nutritional healthfulness that, that people have in their minds uh, but by the same token if you do the same experiment with somebody like yogurt, the organic actually increases the, the, the flavor perception because organic is, or yogurt is already seen as, as healthy. And uh, so a better version of yogurt is going to taste better than a, than a regular version of yogurt. So, so all of these, these things really, um, I think people's general awareness of food as a, as a culture, it's certainly in, increased over, over the last, uh, last few years. Um, but that, that the idea, and that's, you know, there's some segments of the, of the population where that's more true for them than, than others, are, obviously. But um, those associations, the, the, the local war movement, uh, and things like that are definitely do have an impact on people's perception of, of flavor and their, their, their experiences. Because, you know, half of food is flavor and half of food is experience. You know, if yeah. we one of the things, you know, we, we always say is if if, uh, if People just uh, viewed food as fuel there 'd be no food related in, in, uh, uh, illnesses in the u s because uh, you know who who would argue with we 'll just put in better fuel uh, but that's not that's the, the for in most people 's minds food as fuel is, is a is a is a meaningless notion that it, it, it 's so much more of that to us it's it 's part of our culture it 's how we say I love you it 's how we say how we take care of each other um, and so, you know sometimes the the best caretaking involves some of the least healthful foods you know, for, for a lot of people from a comfort perspective. Um, you know, we don't have we don't have a, a clear broth for our birthdays. We have cake.
0: <laughs> you make a really good point. And what most of us would rather have a chocolate kiss than a carrot.
3: Right. Most of the time, right.
0: Yeah. All I, foods not- fit.
3: You know, you have to organize your, 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 um, uh, you know the, the endless denial is, is really hard for, for most most people. And, you know, so figuring out a way to, to moderate your intake of the the lower the less nutrient optimal foods that's the key. And half of that is you know thinking about it in advance, uh, uh, figuring out what you're going to buy, making your lunch, things like that. And half of it is just literally the organization of your space so you make those choices. You know, yeah, I'm sure you've heard the phrase "make the healthy choice the easy choice," and yeah. that's you know that you can do that. People can do that for themselves. We
0: are out of time, and I want to send our listeners over to um, foodpsychology.cornell.edu to learn more about Adam Brumberg, the Deputy Director of the Food and Brand Lab, and the program over there at Cornell. On Twitter, they can be reached and connected with at cufood_brandlab, underscore brand lab. And on Facebook, that page is Cornell Food and Brand Lab. Adam, thanks for hanging out with me.
3: Thank you, Lisa. Good to talk to you.
0: Have a great day. Thank Kick you. from the tunes.
1: Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day regardless of external circumstance sure things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control there is only ever one thing that is totally within our control ourselves when we have command of ourselves we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise whether you see the glass as half empty or half full The glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Today, we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com.
2: Hi, this is producer Andrea Mengele, inviting you to listen as the conversation continues, this time with Lisa and our second guest, Dr. Jill Hart.
0: Dr. Jill Hart is an expert covering a wide range of topics, including Food intolerance, homocysteine as a risk factor for Alzheimer's, dementia, heart disease, and infertility, biochemistry of satiety, appetite, and weight loss, liver biochemistry, and blood alcohol markers hormone analysis. She also is involved with endocrine testing and pituitary function, nutrition and mental health, gut functioning, bone markers and diabetes testing. And it goes on and on and on. I want to get Dr. Hart with us so she can better explain what she's been up to. Welcome, Dr. Jill Hart.
4: Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for the welcome and the introduction.
0: Oh, well, th- thank you for the work that you're doing. Because you are exploring a, um, a sphere of the relationship between diet and mental health.
4: Absolutely. And I think it's been really important to, um, for, for everyone to look at the evidence now that's behind um, the reactions that people have, maybe as food intolerance reactions and the impact that that can actually have on their mental health and, and the feelings of happiness.
0: When you talk about food intolerance, you don't mean just a, a typical allergic response of sneezing or hives. You're talking about the body responding in a much more complex way to what we're ingesting.
4: Yeah, very much so. I think I think there is a, a lot of confusion between food intolerance and food allergy, for example. They get, often get confused. And food allergy is the immediate, sometimes dangerous or even life-threatening reaction to foods such as peanuts and uh, shellfish milk and eggs. And this is often present from a a young age and and involves an antibody type, which is called an IgE antibody. And once you have an allergy into adulthood, you you usually have it for life, but it's relatively rare. Only about 2% of adults have have allergies. Food intolerances are very different. Um, It's estimated that about 45% of the population suffers from some type of food intolerance. These often develop later in life and can take longer, up to three days for symptoms to present themselves. And actually this makes it really difficult to pinpoint the culprit food or foods if you've eaten something a few days before. And uh, those coming to us at at York Test um, who have food intolerance reactions on average, react to about four or five different food ingredients. And it's virtually impossible to determine which specific foods you're reacting to without taking a test. So um, the good news is, and there is some good news in all this, that um, food intolerance is not necessarily lifelong. And foods can sometimes be reintroduced back into the diet without effect after a period of elimination and gut healing.
0: Hmm. This is fascinating. Give some symptoms of food intolerance.
4: Well, the symptoms are really many and varied, and uh, people don't always associate the symptoms they have with with a food. They can range from the more obvious, such as digestive symptoms like irritable bowel, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, um, to things like skin conditions, eczema, acne, itchy skin, psoriasis and and migraines and headaches. But also um, people report weight gain, low energy, chronic fatigue and of course, you know, as we're talking about today, particularly low mood and depression. Um, So there's a really wide range of symptoms um, involved. And I think overall though, uh, when it comes to your health, your gut health is absolutely paramount, Um, optimal gut health enhances the way that we absorb nutrients and vitamins into the body. It ensures we are converting the food we eat into valuable byproducts to maximize energy levels. And and if you're compromising this with a food intolerance, this puts strain on your gut. And the level of stress on the gut can cause the lining to be impacted, which could allow larger food particles through into the bloodstream. And these larger food particles can trigger an immune response which isn't an allergy, it's a food intolerance, and the immune response is measured using um, a food-specific IgG immune blood test to determine exactly which particular food you're reacting to and and also how severely you might be affected.
0: So the the way to find out about these food intolerances is is Mm. through a blood test? It's a simple blood test?
4: That's right. It it is a very simple blood test um, that can be... um, Carried out by measuring the food specific IgG antibodies that have been shown to be triggering the immune system and, and irritating um, the, the gut. And as we've said, um, you know, by identifying um, the, the antibodies in the blood, we can actually specifically link those to the foods you eat. And, and the great news is that York Test offers a complete home to laboratory service. And um there's no need to visit a doctor or clinic. Everything needed to, to take the test is included in a in a blood collection kit. So the testing process is really simple. You use a simple finger brick blood collection kit that you use at home, you take a small blood sample, post it back to York Test's accredited scientific laboratory, our quality uh qualified scientists analyze reactions to up to hundred and fifty eight Common food drink ingredients, and you receive a, a, a full colour coded report which lists um, all the reactions the food specific IgG reactions and categorizes them as uh, either reaction uh, pos- positive reaction or no reaction, or borderline reaction, so you know exactly which foods in your diet you are actually reacting to so yeah. You know, I just wanted to add
0: something that this is, this mm. is fascinating because it, it used to be that when you went for this kind of testing, you had to go to the doctor's office. Mm. Um, the testing wasn't always comfortable that you would be there for uh, a, a long time while the tests, I guess what, incubated, <laughs> would be the right mm. word. I don't know. Yes.
4: Yeah. And um, this yes, is something that's yes, done at it's, home. Yes, absolutely. And this, this means that, You've got the advantage of the simple blood collection that you can carry out at home with a simple finger prick, but you've also got the fully accredited laboratory, accredited laboratory service um, that you know is used to analyse the actual blood once you've actually collected it. So you've got the best of both worlds, really. Um, we know that everybody's food fingerprint, if you like, is, is different, which means that people have their own unique lists of reactive foods um, if they're reactive, and some people obviously don't have any at all. Um, these reactions are much more common than you may think, and it's important to remember that food intolerances c- can occur to the proteins in foods that we traditionally think as being healthy as well, things like fruits and vegetables and um, pulses. And a food which negatively affects one person will be completely fine for another, um, and that's why it's important to, to take a test. If you, if you look at the reactions that I have, I always react to to cow's milk for example i mean i eat a lot of other foods clearly um wheat and uh eggs and and uh, vegetables and fruits etc but my my reactions are to cow's milk sheep's milk goat's milk and also to almonds as well um, and that's my unique pattern my unique f- food fingerprint if you like
0: Fascinating. We're going to go to a break in a minute. But before we go, I
4: also just want to do
0: one more quick check about how one obtains the test. Do you need a doctor's prescription or is this somebody who might be curious can contact you and order one?
4: Absolutely. If you'd like to know more about York Test and how York Test can help you, our contact details can be found on our website, which is www.yorktest.yo.rk.t.e.s.t com, and you can find out much more about uh, the services that we offer there. Um, you, you don't need a doctor or, or a prescription to do the test and uh, it's a very straightforward ordering process.
0: Um, And I want to ask you one more thing, which will take us mm. to the break, and then we'll come back mm. and speak mm. about it. And that would be um, the relationship of uh, what we're eating to our mental health and an area of study that I've just become aware of in the last several mm. months because there's research being done at UCLA here in Southern California mm. on psychobiotics.
4: Mm. I mean, the, the gut in the brain, as, as um, I'm sure... You and your listeners are aware are very closely linked, and our gut is an amazing organ. And uh, interestingly, 90-95% of the serotonin, that's our that's our happy hormone, in our bodies is held in our gut. Um, that that hormone is linked to appetite, mood, and sleep factors that affect our gut health, and um, and, and our serotonin will eventually affect the way we feel in our mood. So. The communication between the gut and the brain involves the immune system, which is why the measurement of food-specific IgG antibodies is so important. And it also involves the central nervous system and also the gut bacteria. And there's a lot in the news now about the impact gut uh, bacteria has on on um, inflammation and and also depression as well let's um, go yeah. let, let's
0: hold let's hold that mm-hmm. i'm sorry to interrupt you let's hold that for when we come back from the break because we need to take off for a minute to learn more please visit www.yorktest.com and on twitter you can find dr jill hart at york Test underscore uk and on facebook the page is york Test usa here come the tunes we'll be right back
1: who says money can't buy happiness Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if... Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day, we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness
0: Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about the science behind your eating from the plate to your belly with Dr. Jill Hart, who is a biochemist with York test laboratories. And we're talking about the relationship between what we eat and mental health and a field of research that seems to be growing every day, at least in the United States, and that is psychobiotics. So the relationship of mental health to what's going on in the gut. And Dr. Hart, prior to the break, we began talking a little bit about what goes on in our bellies.
4: Absolutely. And, and it's really, really key now um, to, to understand. People are Starting to understand what microorganisms are present in the gut and the different types of microorganisms that are there for the very first time. But what people don't yet understand is how um, specifically um, what you know the communication, the exact mechanism of communication of those bacteria to actually what's going on with with things like mental health. But we do know that there are only certain factors that can affect. The gut microbiology and those are things like diet uh, and and gut healing and microbiot- um, um, probiotics, microbiotics, and these um, are really important. People have made more general dietary changes. Obviously, healthy eating is absolutely vital. But when you think about the fact that everybody's gut b- bacteria are individual to them, they have a, their own unique pattern. We know that it's really important to have specific personalized dietary changes that relate to the individual rather than a, a, you know, a one-size-fits-all pattern. Um, and that's why considering um, your own unique immunology by taking a, a, a food intolerance test can tell you a lot more um, about what's going on.
0: And when we talk about mental health, um, mm-hmm. talk a little bit about, I mean, we know that there's the gluten-free craze, for example, or mm-hmm. the dairy-free um, mm-hmm. craze, and people are quite passionate about it, at least on the Western states of, uh, of America. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is this part of what you're talking about?
4: I, I think, you know, people do have choices and people can choose to remove gluten or, or dairy or, uh, or wheat from their, from their diet. Um, but I think um, unless there's a good evidence behind um, the, the, the need to, to remove those foods, I think if you um, look at the, the picture that I've talked about with, on average, people reacting to four or five different foods, taking one, one or two foods out using guesswork is not necessarily going to give people the whole picture um, in terms of their own specific personalized reactions. And I think it's also really vital that if you start to remove foods from your diet, that you actually replace those foods with um, suitable alternatives. For example, if someone discovers they're intolerant to cow's milk, then they should ensure they're still consuming the recommended daily amounts of calcium. You know they're getting enough protein, and 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 ensure they shouldn't you shouldn't be deficient. So taking foods out of the diet at a whim without considering what to put back in its place is also really important. And that's why we at York Test emphasize the importance of proper nutritional supervision, which is provided through the York Test service um, by our nutritional therapists.
0: Mm. Very, very interesting. Talk a little bit about inflammation, because a lot of the research indicates that so many of our health problems are a result from inflammation in the body. Talk a little bit about that.
4: Absolutely. When you actually consider the, <clears throat> the importance of gut bacteria, um, again, in the, in the body, they are actually uh, you re- re- helping to regulate the immune system. Um, the immune system, once triggered, um, is going to actually go on and, and um, stimulate inflammation. They're a very... Uh, Good studies which show a direct relationship with the levels of food specific i g g antibodies in in the blood and actually markers of inflammation such as um, c reactive protein and um, people are beginning to to much better understand that relationship now. We know that inflammation is involved with a lot of chronic conditions, everything from um, you know i b s um, through to uh, things like depression but also Um, being overweight and obese is also linked to inflammation so when you're trying to (coughs) lose weight for example it's important um, not just to you know cut down on calories and do more exercise you have to get over the fact that you've got an inflamed body and actually remove some of those immune triggers to to help you reach your your ideal weight and um, that's that's again part of the the big picture that's involved with inflammation that we know is uh, affecting us through lots of different conditions and diseases,
0: and other uh, health conditions uh, attributed mm. to uh, inflammation. It's my understanding that they include but aren't limited to, like fibromyalgia, mm. uh, some of the other autoimmune disorders, the, the absolutely. depression, Alzheimer's, yeah, absolutely. Um, schizophrenia yeah, also, is another yeah. One area. Yeah, where I mean.
4: S- Absolutely, certainly. Um, if we we go back to the autoimmune picture, um, uh, many um, people that um, you know w- remove um, food-specific IgG-related um, foods um, from their from their body, uh, feed back to us that um, they've been helped with things like fibromyalgia, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, um, and other autoimmune diseases. Um, and, and moving on, you know, to talk about schizophrenia, certainly um, the evidence that I've presented in my most recent paper, uh, that's been published, is that um, you know people with schizophrenia have raised anti in IgG antibodies, for example, compared with normal controls, um, anti-milk and, and and potentially other food-specific IgG antibodies, and the studies there have shown that you know it's not necessarily just gut permeability. Um, and leaky gut, as we call it, that's involved, that's letting larger food particles through. There could be also um, links with um, blood-brain barrier permeability as well. So, uh, again, these are all areas that are really impactful, and, um, you know, there's more to find out, um, particularly in schizophrenia, but the evidence there is, is is pointing us in this direction.
0: And in addition to um, depression and schizophrenia, um- the research is also uh, pointing towards autism and ADHD as well.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And again, many children with um, autism and ADHD present with gut symptoms. They also present with um, altered gut microbiology, intestinal per- permeability, which are all linked to inflammation, and, um, and and you know again linked back to you know uh, the probability of. An increased gut permeability, but also an increased blood-brain barrier permeability. So again, the same the same type of picture. Um, there is there is building evidence that um, uh, children with autism and ADHD have um, higher levels of food-specific IgG antibodies, and um, and that by changing the diet according to the actual results of those antibodies um, can can be beneficial. And that's certainly something that we've seen with the feedback that we we get from people that have used the test. And we've been offering this test um, in the UK and Europe since 1998. So uh, we've got a lot of information about it.
0: Yes, yes. And this is, is this is in the emperor's new clothes. This is uh, yes. technology that has been around for a while and has Absolutely. been
4: proven. Um, Absolutely,
0: can, can you talk a little bit uh, uh, about a case study, uh, perhaps? Um,
4: yes. Yeah. I've, I've got I've got some information about um, somebody who used our service, and, and in this case, it, it wasn't a child. In this case, but a, a gentleman called uh, uh, David Brown who struggled with lethargy, forgetfulness, anxiety, and depression. And um, knowing him now, happy, energised, and full of enthusiasm for the future, it's hard to believe that things were very different for David a few months ago. And um, he only described as. He felt constantly tired and lethargic and complained of what he called a was a brain fog really um he He tried to get over this and um levels of lethargy and tiredness um anxiety and depression he'd visited his doctor he'd had his blood tested and he had his eyes tested as well and um although he he recounts suffering from um periods of mild depression since since his teens really. He kept ignoring it and uh, told himself that he really should get over this. Um, he he, didn't really link his anxiety and depression with his fatigue and brain fog, but uh, he was sort of at the end of his tether, really, uh, when, when he came to us. He tried everything he could think of, uh, including hypnotherapy, cognitive behaviour therapy, and... In the end he heard about York Test from his mother who'd had a very positive experience with us and he sent off his fingerprint blood sample to our laboratory and we tested his sample for 158 foods and his results revealed he was intolerant to egg whites, egg yolks and millets. Now millets a cereal which is used a lot nowadays in, uh, you know, in cereals and, and bars and um, grain bars and things. Um, after he Received his results, he, he talked to our nutritional therapist, and you know he was a bit daunted by the thought of removing eggs because he he'd been eating a lot of eggs, thinking that they were really healthy. <laughs> and you know this is quite often what we hear. You know people people also often crave things that they're food intolerant to. And um when he started to explain his symptoms to our nutritionist, she used the the word brain fog, which immediately resonated with him, and he looked it up later, and you know it, it was as if uh, the symptoms were were written for him. Um, he said it was a huge relief to to have an explanation behind uh, what was going on, and it didn't take him long before he noticed a difference in his symptoms. After about ten days, um, taking eggs and millet out of his diet, not only was his brain fog lifting, but his anxiety and depression also seemed to fade. And he he felt it was an absolute revelation, and, and fed back to us and uh, phoned us up. Uh, you know obviously over the moon about it. he said he'd never in a million years expected to to have such a complete and total change in his health and you know wow. he used the words which i really liked he, he said he feels reborn and it was like his brain had been taken out thoroughly cleaned and serviced and then popped back in again <laughs> so, which we thought was <laughs> a lovely phrase and um you know he says that he's sharper more motivated and focused and uh, and can think more clearly and uh, and no longer gets flustered and confused uh, uh, and as stressed as he did before um, and you know this is a simple dietary change with guided elimination diet with with good scientific information to back it up and um, you know this is this is one small example uh, or very big you know very big thing for David, but one example of the you know the feedback we get on a daily basis mm. from people whether it's about um you know David's types of symptoms or all through to things like um you know digestive problems skin and, and the other symptoms that I've been talking about and Dr I think Jill it's really, Hart really inspiring yeah
0: Dr. Jill Hart, I'm yes, going yes. to I'm gonna have to say goodbye oh. because we're out of time. We are oh. way, way, way out of time. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have to carry on the conversation uh, uh, again at a later date. I'd
4: love to do that. <laughs>
0: but I, I want to um, just... Um, really share that, that that we need not suffer with some of the symptoms that many of us experience in daily life. And to learn more, you can visit York Test Laboratories at www.yorktest.com. And on Twitter, you can connect with Dr. Jill Hart, biochemist at YorkTest And on Facebook, you can find York Test USA there as well. Thank you, Dr. Jill Hart, for your work, your heartfelt research that's making a difference for so many.
2: Thank you. Another hour of purpose-driven media has flown by. This is Andrea Mengeli on behalf of Lisa Cypress-Kamen and our two amazing guests, Adam Brumberg and Dr. Jill Hart, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Remember, happiness is an inside job. It's your inside job. Go out and rock
1: your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on TokiNet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.